welcome to The View from the Lane, our new Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic, in this, our third episode. My name's Jack Pitbrook, and today I'm joined again by James Moore and our Tottenham correspondent, Charlie Eccleshare. It's been another exciting week for Spurs. They played very badly and lost 2-1 at Manchester United on Wednesday, and then played very well and beat Burnley 5-0 on Saturday. Charlie, you did both games. What was the difference? Well, the quality of opposition, to start with, uh, United played well, uh, Burnley looked pretty poor, but also saying to James before that you know Spurs earned the right, I think, to have a comfortable, fun afternoon against Burnley by scoring early. They really went for them uh, right from the start, whereas they were quite sluggish uh, against United. Uh, and I think the, mid- the midfield balance was a lot better. Uh, Dyer and Sissoko looked a much more natural fit than Winks and Sissoko, which really didn't work against United and left them both exposed defensively and also with no real link to the attack. Um, whereas on uh, on Saturday against Burnley, they looked really good going forward, carried a threat throughout, and it became yeah, just a really fun, enjoyable afternoon. The big highlight on Saturday, I think, was the Hume Son goal, where he ran, I think, kind of 80 or 90 yards with the ball yeah. before scoring. What do we think? Have you ever I, seen I anything have, like it? I have a hot take. Go on. I think that Sissoko's goal was actually better. Cool. Why? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the I mean the, the sun goal was amazing, and w- when you're in a stadium and you see something like that happen, it's very exciting to see a player carry the ball that far, and it's not something you see very often. And I think there's another goal you're going to talk about in, in a minute where that did happen. But the Sissoko goal, one, there's an exchange of passes which you know is always good. Two, that exchange of passes with Harry Kane, which will always impress me. And three, I think the finish was slightly better from Sissoko, uh, I, and it just felt like that was a, it was a more rounded goal. It, it also starts really deep as well, that goal. Yeah, he's probably, probably picked the ball. Maybe like, he's, he won the ball, I think, about yeah. 60 yards down the pitch. Exchange passes with Kane, drives into the box, holds off two defenders and kind of hits it with the outside of his right boot past the keeper. It's a better goal. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think that when it comes to evaluating, like, what is the best goal? What's the goal of the season? People often lose sight of the fact that football's a team game. Like, they... People get so obsessed with individualistic goals, whether it's like a dribble or just someone smacking it in from 50 yards, that they that they lose sight of the kind of teaminess of it. And therefore, any goal which incorporates elements of team playing coordination is more, it's like a better example of football being played at its best yeah. than Son running for 70 yards. As cool as that was, and it was really cool because I'd never... Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd never been in the stadium for anything like that before. That is what makes a goal really good if it's something you've not seen before. Right, I think right. that pro- probably would maybe be the number one thing that I'd look for in, in a goal. And I, I hadn't seen Muta Sissoko score a, a goal where he's played the ball after someone exchanged passes, controlled it, and done a really neat little finish. So that was really good. I, I think, like for me, difficulty of goal is always one of the things I look for. One where you just can't imagine how it's even possible to do. And I don't know what would score higher on that. Maybe the Son one. But... I think there is, there's often a problem with sort of dribbly goals is that when you watch it back, you're like, oh, he's only actually beaten two or three players, which, it, but that's true of a lot of, like, yeah. true of like Ryan Giggs as well, that goal against Arsenal. Yeah. Um, but it, it, yeah, there is something exciting about it. But it wasn't, Sons wasn't a kind of, uh, I don't know, messy, he's not kind of weaving past. It wasn't like yeah. Georgia Kinklazi against Southampton, exactly. which for me is like the, the gold old, standard. The, yeah, like the platonic form of that type yeah. of goal. There needs to be at least two drop shoulders, I think, to, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for it to be like amazing yeah. run. The one, so somebody tweeted me about this, and I'm really sorry, I've forgotten who it was. But uh, the goal they compared it to was Hatem Ben Arthur against Bolton Wanderers in mm, April 2012. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, so we were just watching this earlier. Like he doesn't, he gets the ball slightly further forward than Son did. So Son got the ball on the edge of Spurs box, whereas Ben Arthur gets it about halfway inside the Newcastle half. And then he did start it off with a really, really nice turn. But after then, it was more a case of the Bolton 
defenders, a bit like the Burnley defenders, being unsure whether to retreat or kind of go in for a like half-assed tackle and not quite make it. And um, and then he finished it off in the end, and it it looked it looked amazing and had this kind of really unique, exciting vibe. But at the same time, maybe it wasn't as good as like some of the other goals we I discussed. Mean, he basically Ben Arthur. This is he basically ran in a straight line from more or less like the centre spot to like the edge of the <laughs> yeah. D and then slotted it past the keeper. It's amazing, isn't it, that none of those Burnley players earlier on in the move fouled him. Yeah, like just take the book. I don't know why. Like obviously, when he gets further in, it becomes more of a risk. But early on, just foul. I guess. But early on, there's so many men behind the ball at, at that point. You're not really going to make a kind of unnecessary foul if you think you've got six six defensive yeah. players behind you. Then why are you why are you going to bring a man down? Yeah, the amazing thing for me was when he he kind of sped up as he went on. Like he wasn't even running that quick. He was, he had the ball in closer control at the start when he was inside his own half. Then when he moved into the Burnley half. There were two moments where he took a touch, knocked it about 10, 15 yards mm. ahead of him, and then yeah. sped up. And that was the point where I think it was like Peters and Tarkovsky just couldn't get anywhere near him. Yeah. Like the acceleration's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That was the best thing about the goal. It, but yeah, it, So that was really good. But we're going to look at some of the more boring aspects of the game now. <laughs> um, Dyer and Sissoko midfield, probably the best... I think it was like the best midfield combination we've seen so far. From Pochettino, in terms of it seeming to work together, it was Dyer's fourth start under Mourinho and his best game. I think it was actually like the best I've seen Dyer play for ages, like more than a year since back, probably back since like the start of last season, uh, which feels an awful long time ago now. Charlie, you wrote about the Dyer-Sissoko combination. How did you? Wh- why did you think it worked so well? I think it just had a much better balance than Dyer and Winks, and you know we've spoken about this that they kind of blunt each other, whereas this Dyer. Looking at the way he played, he was kind of in front of the defence, he was setting the tempo, which kind of gave Sissoko the licence to A, get forward, and he could also roam to the right and sort of do that, you know, compensating for Aurier kind of role, um, but also just get forward a lot more and, you know, be a lot more effective that way without having to worry too much um, about the defensive side of things. And, yeah, I just the, the balance looked really good. Uh, and, yeah, as you say, Dyer looked, you know, the best we've seen him in a long time. If the one thing we get from this last week is that we never see that Sissoko and Winks central midfield partnership ever again. It will, will have been worth that defeat, another defeat at Old Trafford because that pairing just does not work. It feels to me like Winks and Sissoko don't trust each other almost. Like They don't play their natural games mm. when they're next to one another. You know, Winks isn't ex- expansive in his passing and Sissoko isn't kind of dynamic or courageous with the way he dr- uh, drives forward with the ball. It's like they're both kind of playing within themselves because they know... The guy next to him isn't a natural defensive midfield player. And obviously Eric Dyer is. Completely. And like Sissoko, the goal you're talking about, the that Spurs is fifth. You know, Sissoko's able to kind of he drops deep, he wins the ball, and then he's charging forward in, in a way that he knows he can because Dyer's there. And yeah, like you say, James, he may not feel so comfortable doing it. He probably wouldn't feel so comfortable doing that if he's not really trusting that Winks is actually going to be sitting in for him. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where both both Sissoko and Winks need Dyer alongside them. Like if you had if you have Dyer and Sissoko, then you get Dyer holding and the benefit of Sissoko's forward runs and everything that we saw against Burnley on Saturday. If you had Dyer and Winks, then you get the benefit of Winks's passing and movement and the sort of fluidity he adds to the game. But if you have Winks and Sissoko, then you've got two guys who can't really defend and don't really want to do it properly, and then suddenly you leave yourself massively exposed to the opposition. And that's that's really what we've seen too often in the past. And th- th- this was the first time I kind of had confidence in what Mourinho is trying to do in midfield like I could see oh yeah I can see Dyer doing the kind of conventional holding midfielders job in a way which he hasn't really been able to do in the first few games back under Mourinho so far 
Yeah. And I also thought, yeah, like, and equally, I can see the benefit of Sissoko being effectively released to attack. Because mm. even even aside from the fantastic goal he scored, there was that great move where when he hit the post, he hit the post in the first yeah, half, tough, yeah. getting like, like making a similar kind of run to the one that he scored from. And then, of course, he scored, didn't he, against Bournemouth the other week? Mm. So clearly, like that kind of box to boxness that we've always wanted to see from Sissoko is fine. It looks like it's being unleashed a little bit. He looks. To me, and it's very possible I'm reading too much into this, but he just looks a lot more uh, confident and natural when he gets into the penalty area now. He wasn't quite in uh, Didier Zakora or Stefan Freund's territory before, but he looks, he never looked like he was going to hit the target when he got into the box. And because he's quite quick and strong, he's a powerful runner, he did get into those positions quite often, and he just didn't have like the the technique to, to make it count. But now he kind of looks so much more likely to score than he ever did before. And it's just happened in a really short period of time. And I just can't quite work out how that's happened. Yeah, I wonder if it's partly just the liberation of scoring that first one against Bournemouth, which was a good finish, but it's a more instinctive one. And even at the time, I did think for a second, oh my God, is that going to go wide? So it might be that after that, he just feels, you know, the, the sort of long period without scoring in the league anyway is over and, you know, just feels a bit less pressure now. But it'll be, I do think with um, yeah with the midfield pairs, I, I've said in the piece, like you look at Mourinho's team selections and the front four and the back four is very settled. It is those two in midfield he's really he hasn't really got a handle on yet, and he's only named the same pair for consecutive games together once, and then he had to take Dyer off after less than half an hour. So it has been a problem area, and obviously going further back to when Dembele left in January, you know it's it's been a problem ever since then. So it's really it feels like a really key area for him to solve, and if he can solve it, I think that make a huge difference. One other thing I want to mention is there are reports in Belgian media this morning saying that Mourinho has contacted Marouane Fellaini <laughs> about the possibility of joining Tottenham in January. Uh, this strikes me as being slightly unlikely, not least because Fellaini earns £450,000 a week for Shandong Lunang in China. Um, what do we think? Can we see this one happening? Who would put the ball on his head if Ericsson's not getting back in the team? I don't really see that as a player who's going like, to find him in the last who, who would even take corners? I mean, Son was Son, taking them on, yeah. uh, on Saturday. Winks yeah. has taken some. He's taking a few because he's going to be in the team. Yeah. Especially if Fellaini's in the team. Yeah. But then the only position I could see Fellaini playing in this team is the Delhi position, <laughs> right? Because it's not like he's going to play in the midfield too. And, but then Delhi, like, why would you... Dropping Delhi to, for Marouane Fellaini seems kind of absurd when you say it out loud. The, the, one, it? the one thing I'll say about it is, uh, in that period post-Fergie to, to Fellaini leaving United, and this this could be like... Uh, erroneous memories, but I do feel like he may have scored a few goals against Arsenal late in games for United. He did. He says, that would be that would be the one thing that I think could, right. could make that a positive prop- uh, proposition for Spurs. He scored the winner, in, yeah, in twenty eighteen. Okay, so one. Yeah, <laughs> there may have been others. I think just That's the probably one. Probably enough. But yeah. Okay. Well, um, back to the real world. Uh, Saturday was also Spurs' first clean sheet of the Mourinho era. It was actually their first clean sheet since they beat Crystal Palace 4-0 back in September, which feels a very, very long time ago now. Um, they weren't perfectly defensively. They conceded a few headed chances to Chris Wood and Jay Rodriguez on another day. They might have conceded one of those. But I did still think it was like a massive step up in defence, especially given that Mourinho had been speaking an awful lot in the week. It was press conference on Friday about he needed to work on the defensive process at Spurs. And you can't. it's not just to do with individuals and individual mistakes. It's to do with all the players playing together keeping their shape and I think they did that really well um, after the game I spoke to Toby Alderweireld about it and said you know how, Toby how did you 
how did you get this first clean sheet of the season, or sorry, of the Mourinho era? And he said, oh, it's all about being tactical. People think about the defensive process. It's not only the keeper, the centre-backs, or the full-backs. It's a team process. And he also made this really interesting point, which was that uh, he said that basically in the past, Spurs have been opening them up, opening themselves up a little bit by not pressing the right way. He said, sometimes we want to press and not everyone is doing their job. So then they, that is the opposition, could play out of it and the pressure comes on the defence. It's a team thing. Today, we didn't press all the time. Sometimes we played compact, but with a high line. I think we did well there. So I guess what he's getting at is like, this was the first time we saw like an organised, coherent Mourinho performance. It was like the first time, it was the first time they played properly well for 90 minutes under Mourinho, which mm, is not something yeah. they were able to do in the first four games. Did you see a bit of that? Like the the, the kind of the first time they actually looked like a properly organised team together? They definitely looked more coherent defensively. And, and it's interesting to talk about defensive process because Mourinho kept using uh, that term as well in the press conference. So it's something he's clearly drilling into the players. I think, it, you know, we really need to... Once he's had a kind of full week with the players, because obviously he hasn't had that, he keeps saying he hasn't had enough training sessions, I think we'll see more of that. But it does feel like it's settling into place. And he's named the same back four of three games running now. And that that is going to help. You know, he, he wants that settled back four. And it's, it, it does look a bit more like that's fitting into place. It seems to me like that back four is now going to be the back four for mm. the foreseeable future. Like with Ben Davis being injured and Danny Rose is kind of out of the picture... Um, I think I can't see why why you would change that, like particularly given that Vertonghen has so much experience as a, as both a centre back playing for Tottenham and also played left back for Belgium, and he kind of has a sort of hybrid role in this system, which means he can like tuck into the back three when Aurier goes forward. It just seems to me to fit really well, um, and also the, having Sanchez on the kind of on to the right hand side of Alderweireld is great because he's got so much pace he can cover those spaces for when Aurier goes forward, and I feel like he's kind of. It's not perfect yet, but I feel like Mourinho has really landed on something mm. which really works well for the players he's got. It's a really good solution to the problems that he had. It's a great solution. Out, yeah. yeah, it's perfect. It's like um, it's when you know if you when you come into a new job like this, your number one job is going to be to like what what solutions can I come up with with the players that I've got? And here he seems to have landed on something which both which takes advantage of Aurier's incredible mm. strengths because. I mean, for all the criticism he gets, he's so good going forward. Like, there is, I think with the exception of, like, you know, the England guys, like uh, Alexander-Arnold Walker, I think Aurier is probably the next best attacking right back in the league. They can't really think of anyone else who's as good as him. But by doing this system, they've managed to find a way which covers up for his mistakes. Like, I don't really remember him. Has he made a mis- defensive mistake yet in in the Mourinho era? He's made a few. I mean, none that have been massively yeah, punished. Not, He's made a few yeah. kind of wild tackles. But, so there was one moment in the... There was one moment on Saturday, actually, which stuck in my mind, where Aurier, like, ran forward to try and make a tackle. He overcommitted himself. He lost the ball. Um, Burnley trying to get in behind him and then Lucas Moura ran back to yeah. tackle Eric Peters just before Peters was going to get in a cross and like everybody stood up to applaud and Mourinho was like clapping and clapping and shouting and then in the press conference afterwards Mourinho was really complimentary about Lucas and how he, he was amazing in the defensive process and it really like Lucas in that moment looked like the kind of classic sort of Jose defensive winger like a winger who who tracks back and does his responsibilities so that was one which moment which he really hadn't done against United right way. totally yeah. and that was one moment where Aurier did get caught out, but that aside, I I think basically Aurier hasn't been exposed to much. Whereas if you remember back to like, you know, literally not that long ago at all, like the first few weeks of this season, as in the last few weeks of the Pochettino era, Aurier was getting dreadfully exposed all the time at like Bayern, Southampton. He was an absolute disaster. Liverpool penalty. Yeah, yeah, Liverpool. So I think we, I think that this has been another like plus point of the Jose era so far for me. Especially as it's, 
kind of ironic, isn't it? Because Pochettino was the fullback whisperer who could get the best out of fullbacks, but it's he, he never really could with Aurier, and it's taken him leaving for Aurier to actually finally produce some consistently good performances for Spurs. I wonder if that's kind of like a psychological thing in the sense that when the new guy, when the new manager comes in, all of every relationship is kind of reset to zero. And obvious, like it's no secret that Pochettino's you know, not being very impressed with Aurier in the past, and he tried to sell Aurier, and, you know, like, there's plenty of Spurs players that Pochettino's tried to sell in the last few years. And then all of that gets forgotten when the new guy comes in. And particularly with Jose, with his kind of strength of personality and his achievements and his charisma, he can say, he can kind of get all of those players uh, looking forwards again, being positive, being optimistic, using his kind of motivational skills on them. And we can see that in the individual improvements of most of the players since Mourinho has come in as manager. Well, certainly the individual players who he has kind of anointed as being good, right. which yeah. is really important Like for him. I mean, any new manager, as you say, that's exciting, but especially for Mourinho. So, yeah, they have. I, I guess the, the flip side is those who aren't playing may feel a bit sidelined and he plays quite, you know, he likes to have a kind of quite tight, smallish squad. Um, so it'll be interesting to see then how those players are affected by that once they have to start playing games when they've when they're quite clearly you know second choice players now yeah and it'll be interesting to see how the team develops because as james said like one of the issues they've had is this was jose's fifth game as manager and something he's only been in charge at two and a half weeks whereas now because they have because they're going to take a younger team to buy and that means that the senior players will get a little bit of time off to work on training and then next week that is the week between the wolves game and the chelsea game all the senior players are going to be they're going to be training hard all week. Jose said at the press conference the other day that he would normally have given a day off in this in that sort of week, but they won't be because they've got so much training work to do, which he hopes will help to kind of implant some of his concepts in the players going forward. Um, That's going to be so interesting, isn't it? That Chelsea game, yeah, the yeah. first time of the full week. Just yeah, just and also you know that Mourinho, being Mourinho, he will have watched Chelsea so much he will be absolutely desperate to get one over on Chelsea, who sacked him twice, on Lampard, who played for him. On Chelsea, in the sense that it's like the the chase for fourth yeah, place. Yeah, massive. Like, he's going to be. I think that will be. I mean, I know United was big the other day, but I think that that Chelsea game will be like the first huge game of the Mourinho era. I'm really excited about it. Definitely, and because there is nowhere to hide. You know, you can't say oh, I haven't had enough time to play. You've had the full week, so it's all on the line then. Totally. It definitely feels like a big opportunity for Mourinho to really, really win over the fans as well. If he can win that game and, uh, you know, if, he, if he's hurrying down the touchline in the 90th minute to celebrate or whatever else, he's, he's definitely going to get his name sung on the ground, that's for sure. Yeah, I would imagine that if there is a moment at which Mourinho will dispense with this, like, magnanimous, I'm a nice guy thing, like that will be the moment when it, all that goes out the window. It's a pretty exciting thing, isn't it, that they are difficult games, granted, but if Spurs beat, if Spurs win the next two games, Wolves away, Chelsea home, then they're minimum three points off top four. Completely, yeah. And I think we've, I mean, we've seen from watching Chelsea in the last month or so that as good as they are going forward and they've got some fantastic players, like the fragilities at the back and certainly in the, yeah, in the back four, probably in goal as well. Like they, they have been conceding an awful lot and I'm yeah. sure Mourinho will find a way to be able to take them, take advantage of that. I mean, I think the one thing is, I think Rudiger's going to be back for that game probably. Yeah. But I mean, and he'll make a big difference to them. But they're definitely a team who can be got at. Mm. Totally. So Mourinho said that he's going to take a much changed team to Bayern on Wednesday night. So I imagine that will mean Parrot, Skip, Sessignon, maybe Lachelso, maybe Winks if he's back from his ankle injury, maybe Ndombele. Um Charlie, you're going to the game. What do you expect? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, everyone wants to see Troy Parrot. That's the one. You know, I tweeted. 
uh, out that Mourinho, he was asked about whether Parrot would play against Bayern and he just said, well, what I can tell you is that Kane won't and put that out and, you know, so much excitement that this could be, uh, you know, Parrot's big break. So it will be very interesting to see how he gets on. Uh, and then some of the other younger guys you mentioned, like Skip, uh, Tanganga, who may, pl- who may play as well. And then, yeah, we, because Mourinho has named a very settled team, we've seen very little of guys like Le Chelso or Foyth. Um, so see see how they get on as well, those fringe players, and see if they can sort of make a case to disrupt Mourinho's first team a little bit. Do we do we think it matters that Spurs are now, you know, probably likely to lose the game maybe badly by playing all these kids? I mean, it'd be interesting to see what kind of team Bayern play because obviously they they've got the top spot secured. They're not doing brilliantly in the Bundesliga. They lost to uh, Gladbach on on the weekend. Um, and I think they're down now in seventh in the league, so they'll probably, you would imagine, they'd probably rotate as well. So it may end up being like the the youth, like the youth game, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The youth league, uh, game, which I think Spurs actually also lost the first one of those, but not quite as spectacular. Yeah, pretty badly. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that Spurs fans would be totally happy for Mourinho to like put all of his eggs in the basket of Chelsea? Rather yeah, than I'd, this game? I'd say so. I mean, the Wolves game is a big game as well, given yeah. they're what now sixth in the league. I think of just course, ahead of yeah, Spurs, of so that's going to be a, a, a big game as far as European qualification goes as well, potentially. And a really tough game as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it is about picking your battles, I think, isn't it? Surely, and you know, with so many games, you know, like we say, he's been playing two games a week since he started going into the festive period. I think it's totally understandable, and also more to the point, a lot of these players need minutes. They've barely played under Mourinho, so I think it'd be good for a lot of them. To play. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Mourinho would love nothing more than being able to go there and get like a nil-nil or a one-nil win <laughs> yeah. to kind of show how much better he is than Pochettino, given what happened in the first game. But realistically. Yeah. <laughs> that isn't going to happen, and there are probably bigger fish, fair bigger fish to be yeah. fried. And I think I, I was thinking though, like if if Mourinho, if it is like a B team v B team and Spurs win it, you can imagine Mourinho constantly referring to that though. You know, like when we won at the Alliance against Bayern, in the way he talked about the Community Shield as a trophy, be like not really mentioning like this massive caveat that Bayern wasn't exactly the first team. Yeah. And I think a lot of those kids have been victims of um, Spurs going out the League Cup of Colchester. Yeah. Like they, under normal circumstances, Spurs would have won that game and we would have got to have seen Parrot, Sessegnon, Skip, etc. for a few more games this season, whereas they've kind of been on ice ever since then, especially with the managerial change as well. That's it, a, yeah, that's a really good point. It was really interesting that the, the three players that put, uh, that uh, sorry Mourinho brought on on, uh, on Saturday, Sessegnon, Skip and Parrot, with Le Celso just sat on the bench, having yeah. only got, I think, two minutes, three minutes at Old Trafford on Wednesday night. I know, I, I, yeah. And only but five against like, Bournemouth. It does seem like a bit of a strange situation. Well, he did say at the press conference on Friday, like, he he has to adapt to the sort of physicality of English football. Okay. Like, it's hard. And, you know, he's been playing in France and Spain. And he's come from Argentina, but playing in England is different. And he has to, he has to learn that. I think the problem that he's kind of got is that, ideally, he would play... You know, Pochettino would probably play him in that band of three in a four-two-three-one. But now that we've, now that that seems to be pretty like set on being Son, Deli, Lucas, the Chelsea's not going to get in any of those three positions. And while other managers, like a kind of Pep type manager, might be more willing to play him in the midfield too, I think given what we all know about what Jose wants from players in that midfield too, I don't think he's going to play him there either. So yeah. he's kind of squeezed out. Unless he played there with Dyer, which which might work. But yeah, it, it is probably more attacking than what Mourinho would want. I, I mean, I think that position on the wide of the front three is not totally secure. Like, I think Lucas has been good, but I don't think he's been, like, completely undroppable. Um, but, it, I mean, it's frustrating for Chelsea as well because he started uh, the last two games under Pochettino 
scored in that first one at Red Star and was actually and was good and was then good against Sheffield United. So it does feel a bit like he's now taking a step backwards. It could just create a bit of a strange situation given I think Spurs are obliged to yeah. sign him if they qualify for the Champions League, which obviously is no sure thing at this yeah. stage, but they could find themselves in a situation where finishing in the top four means they had to sign a player that a manager perhaps won't want or need. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Charlie, you've got a piece coming out about Le Celso later this week. Yeah, something I've been working on, looking at some of these issues, really. The curiosity of the fact that, uh, you know, according to Betis, Spurs are obliged to sign him if they qualify for the Champions League um, for potentially quite a lot of money. Uh, but at the moment, he's a player who isn't really playing. Obviously, there's a lot of time between now and then, and he may well establish himself. But, it's uh, yeah, it's just an interesting conundrum at the moment for Tottenham. And he's also a player a lot of fans seem to be desperate uh, to want to see. So, yeah, he's a, a real talking point at the moment. And if you want to read that, you can get a 40% discount now by going to theathletic.com and using the code SPURSPOD. Another piece you can read on theathletic.com is Charlie's interview with Christian Zieger, a man who'll be paying special attention this week, having started his career at Bayern Munich and then later going on to Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, this is part of our new slot on the podcast, Memory Lane, where we look back at famous old players and stories from Tottenham. Charlie, when you went to go and see Christian Zieger, what was he like? He's very good company, a very light-hearted guy, uh, looks back on his time at Tottenham extremely fondly. Um, he had three years there uh, and, you know, had spells out injured, um, but yeah, loved it and loved the memories of the players he played with. And it was an interesting time for Tottenham. I mean, they, they got the League Cup final at that time uh, and he scored, um, but they lost to Blackburn and that was kind of... Should his... have had a penalty at the end of that game. Indeed. Uh, but yeah, so that was a kind of... Uh, you know, a bit of a what might have been from him, but uh, broadly, yeah, he loved his time there, and it was it was really nice to to catch up with him. James, do you have good memories of two standout memories? One, the one that everybody knows, which is the free kick against Arsenal from I'm, I'm guessing about 35, 40 yards yeah. out. He, I mean, he's completely destroyed Seaman with it. it uh, a goalkeeper under the age of forty would possibly have saved it. I see, don't know. It's hit so hard. I don't think it's that. It's quite central. I mean, it, he does hit it really hard. It. But it, it, I, I'm just not sure. It's not like in the corner. And I, don't, I don't want to take anything away from yeah. it because it was, it was amazing. Um, the second memory was a goal that he scored against Derby the season before in this Glenn Hoddle team full of, full of actually ironically, full of blokes who were about 40. So this is when Hoddle came in and signed and brought back Teddy Sheringham and played him up front with Les Ferdinand. He had Gus Poyer playing in behind, Ziga playing on the left and uh, as left wing back. And Stefan Freund playing in midfield. And I think the average age of those six, five players would probably be about 33. <laughs> uh, but this goal against Derby where Teddy Sheringham kind of lays the ball off between two defenders and Ziga makes this angled run in from the left and hits the ball with the outside of his left boot like across the goalkeeper and into the back of the net. It's an amazing finish in a game that I think was probably more famous for Gus Poyer scoring from about 50 yards. Mm. Um, I remember being really excited when Ziga signed. Because back then... Spurs didn't really sign too many kind of established like like players from the continent, and mm. obviously he came from Middlesbrough, uh, from Liverpool actually, um, and having played in Middlesbrough before. But obviously he's like a big, big name in European football. But unfortunately, Spurs being Spurs in that area, it didn't didn't quite work out. Amazing. What other players can we name who played for Tottenham and Bayern? There's an obvious one. Uh, yeah, J.K. Yeah, the main man. But beyond Klinsman, I can't think of any others. Well, Alan Nielsen, I, I, I'm not sure whether or not he played for the first team, but he was definitely at Bayern as like a, really? a teenager before he went to Spurs. Yeah, before he went to Bromby, I think, actually. Didn't know that. 
Yeah, um, I can't think of any others. Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my brains, but I can't. If you can, if you come up with any listeners, please tweet us in, and also tweet us questions. We did Fromming. Kind of Fromming's like, never played by. Is it Dortmund? Right. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think Dortmund's. Yeah. We played in the European Cup final. Mm. Cool. Well, I think that is as good a place as any to finish. Uh, With Stefan Fromming. <laughs> uh, because that's all we've got time for this week on the View from the Lane. Thank you very much to Charlie and James Moore. Thank you also to our listeners. Uh, we've, been, we've had some nice feedback so far. Please tweet us some questions. We'll try and answer them next time. Uh, thanks to producer Tom Hughes. Thanks to all the staff at Soho Radio. And our next podcast will be on Thursday morning, immediately after the Bayern Munich game, um, at looking back on that and then looking forward to the weekend. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.